Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Numbers, chapter 27, verses 1 through 11. Follow along in your Bible or on the insert within our bulletin. Hear these words from the Lord. Then the daughters of Zelophehad came forward. Zelophehad was son of Hefer, son of Gilead, son of Machir, son of Manasseh, son of Joseph, a member of the Manassite clans. The names of his daughters were Malal, Noah, Hogla, Milcah, and Tirzah. They stood before Moses, Eliezer, the priest, the leaders, and all the congregation at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And they said, Our father died in the wilderness. He was not among the company of those who gathered themselves together against the Lord in the company of Korah, but died for his own sin. And he had no sons. Why should the name of our father be taken away from his clan because he had no son? Give to us a possession among our father's brothers. Moses brought their case before the Lord. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, the daughters of Zelophehad are right in what they are saying. You shall indeed let them possess an inheritance among their father's brothers and pass the inheritance of their father on to them. You shall also say to the Israelites, if a man dies and has no son, then you shall pass his inheritance on to his daughter. If he has no daughter, then you shall give his inheritance to his brothers. If he has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to his father's brothers. And if his father has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to the nearest kinsman of his clan, and he shall possess it. It shall be for the Israelites a statute an ordinance as the Lord commanded Moses. Herein, here ends our reading. Good morning. Good morning. It's good to see you in action today. I should start by saying that I am not a preacher. Sorry, I am just an organizer. <laughs> but I'm so glad that your pastors asked me to be here with you today. Uh, as Pastor Travis said, I am uh, an organizer with an organization called AMOS, which stands for a Mid-Iowa Organizing Strategy. And put simply, we are a group of 26 congregations and nonprofits we're working together because we believe that ordinary people can transform their communities and make democracy work. Amos is part of a national community organizing network. Pastor Travis has experience with our sister organizations in Dallas and New Orleans. And I come to Iowa after several years organizing with our sister organization in the San Francisco Bay Area of California. Sometimes we describe our Amos organizations as many universities of public life. We look to many sources to teach us about how ordinary people can change the world, history, literature, film, and of course, scripture. From Exodus to resurrection, the Bible is full of role models for us, of ordinary people coming together to do extraordinary things in the face, often, of the most challenging of circumstances. 
Now, the story that we have today is not from Exodus, and it's not from the Gospel. It is kind of an obscure story from the book of Numbers, but it happens to be one of my favorites. Here is the scene. The Israelites have wandered in the wilderness for nearly 40 years. Now, the distance from Egypt, where they left, to the Promised Land, I think is about 100 miles. Should have taken them 10 days. But 40 years later, they're still wandering. Moses started that journey at 80 years old. So he is really getting up there now. And the people are preparing to enter, finally. After 40 years, they're preparing to enter the Promised Land. The Israelites have already received the law from God at Mount Sinai, which is the Ten Commandments and the whole book of Leviticus, which outlines how they should live their lives together. And right now we can all take a moment to be thankful our story is not from the book of Leviticus today. Okay? Uh, all of these laws also establish the inheritance system in which only sons can inherit their father's land. So in this scene, enter our five brave sisters. Their father, Zelophehad, has died, leaving no sons as heirs. They know that according to the law, they will be left destitute. What can they do? Do they just accept their fate? No. Instead, they do something incredible. The sisters show up at the tabernacle, in front of the assembly, which is where all of the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel, all men, are gathered, with the high priest Eleazar and Moses, who is the chief leader. And they stand in front of that assembly, and they make their appeal to Moses. The first thing they say is, our father died in the wilderness. He was not one of Korah's factions. Now, Korah was a man who led a rebellion against Moses and his, brother, and his brother Aaron. So before they ask for anything, the sisters want to make sure that Moses knows they're loyal and they're not trying to undermine his authority. The second thing they say is, let not our father's name be lost. With these words, the sisters are appealing to the interest of Moses and all of the aging leaders in the room. They know that they're not going to live to enter the promised land, and they're all thinking about who is going to remember me when I'm gone. So they say, don't let our father's name be lost, either. Only after they've done those two things do they make their ask. And when they do that, they say, give us a holding among our father's kinsmen. Now, I studied with a Torah professor whose name is Tamara Eskenazi at Hebrew Union College in Los Angeles, and she says that the Hebrew here is very bold. There's a word in Hebrew, the word give, that means please give. But that's not the word that they use. They use the imperative, give it to us. It's a demand. Another way of saying this is that they went to power with a decision, not for a decision. They finish their request by invoking their father's brothers. They want Moses to know, 
We're not asking for everything. We care about this community. We want to be part of it. We want a share among all of the brothers who should also receive a share. The sister's action here is extraordinarily wise. And the reaction that they get is profound. Moses takes their proposal to God, who made the law. And God agrees with the daughters. Isn't that amazing? Not only does God tell Moses to do what they ask, to give them an inheritance, he changes his own law to include women for all time. This is the only passage in Hebrew scripture that describes a new law being made. But wait a second. Wasn't God's law already perfect? In our Amos organizing tradition, we often speak of two worlds. There's the world as it is, and the world as it should be. These worlds are all around us, they're inside of us, and they exist in tension with one another. In the world as it should be, which some of us might call the kingdom of God, or the promised land, love reigns, babies can make as much noise as they want, <laughs> we are all equal, we live in harmony, and everyone has enough in the kingdom of God. In Psalm 19, which we read today, it reflects how we view wisdom in this world. The law of the Lord is perfect. The decrees of the Lord are firm. Many of us were taught that to be wise meant to know the right answer, that there's always a right thing and a wrong thing to do, <coughs> that really what we need to do is understand the rules and play by them. And that might be true in the world as it should be. But in the world as it is, we know that things are not this way. We're not all treated equally. There is conflict and discord and war. We are plagued by inequality. And in this world, in the world as it is, it is power, not love, that reigns supreme. In our Amos organizing tradition, we organize in the tension between these two worlds. Like the ancient people of scripture, we must learn to operate in the world of power, to bring about that world of love. I think the daughters of Zelophehad were great organizers. The rabbis described the sisters as wise, as pious, and astute interpreters. And yet they did something radical. They challenged God's law, and God rewarded them by changing it. How do we make sense of that? In ancient Greek, there are two concepts of wisdom. One is theoretical wisdom, which is called Sophia, where the name comes from. Uh, and the other is called practical wisdom, phronesis. Now, practical wisdom is defined as doing the right thing at the right time for the right reason. Because practical wisdom is about doing rather than knowing. It only exists and can only be learned in action. So are we not called to be like Mala, Noah, Hagla, Milka, and Tirza, to espouse this other kind of wisdom, this practical wisdom that can guide us through the world as it is? A year and a half ago in Northern California, 
the Amos sister organization that I worked with, celebrated the passage of a new state law granting driver's licenses to immigrants. This law was the result of over 15 years of organizing by our organizations across the state, among many other groups that were part of that effort. The families in our congregations were overjoyed, and they were also concerned. Concerned because the law required these licenses to have a mark on them, distinguishing immigrant licenses from other driving licenses. The law had already passed. But instead of asking just, how can we cope with this, they asked, how big will this mark be? What will it say? A group of our organization's leaders who were ordinary people from churches, synagogues, and nonprofit organizations went up to the state capitol to meet with the person in charge of overseeing the implementation of this new law, a man named Wesley Goo, who was the deputy director of the Department of Motor Vehicles, which I think is called the DOT here. The leaders began the meeting by introducing themselves around, introducing the organization, and then they asked Mr. Gu very simply to explain how he was thinking about implementing the law. It became clear pretty quickly that he wasn't that interested in talking to us, and he wasn't that interested in what was happening in immigrant communities. In fact, he changed the subject to talk about the long ordeal he went through for two years to redesign the California driver's license and how irritated he was that he was going to have to redesign it again. This was just another big thing on a very long to-do list for him. Now the leaders we brought to that meeting could have gotten combative. They could have changed the subject and just gone along with their case exactly as they had planned it knowing that he wasn't really that interested. They could have given up and gone home. But instead, a woman named Stella Agudello jumped out of her seat, took her driver's license out of her wallet, and exclaimed, what a beautiful license this is. I can't imagine anything being added to this. She passed it around the room, and immediately the person to her right jumped in, and she said, in fact, Mr. Gu, this is what we wanted to talk to you about today. We'd like to see the mark on the new license to be as small as possible so it doesn't smear the beautiful design that you have created. Sounds like that's what you'd like too, is that right? Well, six weeks later, Mr. Gu stood on stage 300 miles away, he traveled, in front of 400 people, and he committed to working with our organization to design the new license, to establish the application requirements and prevent any discrimination by the DMV. The heroes of this story are not named Mala, Noah, Hawk, and Wilka, and Tirza. They are Christina, Florencia, Carla, Stella, Eduardo, Judy, and Susan, to name a few. But like the daughters of Zalafahad, they learned how to stand up and negotiate on behalf of their community. They learned that practical wisdom. Here in Iowa, Ben, Bridget, Mark, Jim, Denise, and many others negotiated with the governor and worked with local business leaders to create Project Iowa, a workforce training program that transforms people's lives with living wage jobs and a new belief in themselves. Practical wisdom. In Ames, Henry, Jim, Mary Jane, Mary, Linda, Jeanette, Jan, and others spent more than five years negotiating with healthcare providers to bring a primary care clinic to town 
so low-income women could get prenatal care and deliver their babies in Ames, rather than having to drive all the way to Des Moines while in labor. Can you imagine? Practical wisdom. Up in Ankeny, I'm working with a group of people who are just beginning this process. At Our Lady's Immaculate Heart Parish, Jan, Tessa, Marilyn, Vicki, Kathy, and others are organizing a series of what we call house meetings, small group conversations where parishioners get together to share stories about the pressures on their family so that together they can act to do something about them. Many people, like Zalafahad's daughters, have expressed their love for their community. In many ways, Ankeny is a wonderful place to live. And yet, as the community grows, resources are stretched. Families struggling with mental health issues are having trouble finding counseling close to home, if at all. Parents are stressed between work and school and kids' activities. Where is the family time? And with all the development happening in the area affecting the local water management system, many people are coming home for the first time in years to find their basements flooded on rainy days. How will Ankeny be different because of these leaders? I don't know, but I can't wait to find out. The five daughters of Zalafahad appear three times in Hebrew scripture, more times than any other women, in fact. And every time they are mentioned, they are mentioned by name. They're not so, just so-and-so's sister or so-and-so's daughter. Two of these names, Noah and Hogla, appear on ancient clay fragments that seem to refer to ownership of areas of land of considerable size in northern Israel. So the legacy that these daughters have left lasted a very long time after their death. In our world today, we have a lot of examples of that theoretical kind of wisdom. You just have to turn on CNN to see all the experts telling us what we should think, right? There are best practices, there are reports being issued every day. And what most of the time we're asked for is our opinion. We can comment on Facebook, we can send a tweet out to the universe, we can write a letter to the editor, uh, or here in Iowa, unlike many places in the country, we can pick up the phone and answer an opinion poll. That's usually what we're asked for. But that is not our only call. Scripture calls us to a different kind of wisdom. The kind of wisdom that can only be learned by acting together. That's the kind of wisdom I want to learn. And that's the kind of wisdom that I hope we get the opportunity to learn together. Thank you, Liz. And as we now prepare to come before the Lord's table, let us sing number 408, Come Share the Lord. Mm -hmm. 